Today's episode is sponsored by Tranual. I'll interrupt this episode a little later to tell you more about them. From the beginning, I believe in equity. I believe in in people. It, to me, just having myself be the only beneficiary of a successful business like that would create more problems for me than solve. People think a bag of money solves all the problems. And I know a lot of very unhappy millionaires. If you get to the soul of the business, there's a movement here. And it's this self, this, this path of self-discovery. You're, you're starting to understand your place in the world and how your business can impact other people's lives. And you start seeing that happen. Now I want to change a few more. All of a sudden, the light gets a little brighter and it's like, hey, maybe we can change the world. Welcome to We Run On US. I'm your host, Pam Kosenke. That's Eric Reiger, founder, CEO, and visionary at WebIT Services, an IT strategy and support company. And what's most unusual isn't how he built his business, but his why for building it. Also, and I know this sounds pretty strange, but I told this guy I loved him within minutes of meeting him. I have a love-hate relationship with technology, so my degree is actually in materials management. Back in the early days, we'll just say the 80s, when I was previously employed at other locations, the technology never worked. So I would go out and buy these gigantic books on tech, find the pages that had the answers, fix the problems, and this kept happening over and over, and it stuck, and it seems the universe just kept shifting me in that direction, and I have a knack for this stuff. So rather than fight the universe, I gave in. I was working for an organization that we grew from like 8 to 80 people, but our values and our ethics uh, started to fall off the wayside. We didn't treat people well. We didn't treat our clients well, and one day I just woke up and started a company. That was very entrepreneurial of you, you know, screw this. I'm going to go do yeah, my own that's, thing. <laughs> that's how a lot of businesses start with no plan. And I am definitely guilty as charged on that. So was there somebody that kind of gave you a push to start this or like, is there an influence in your life that was like, you can do this? Or were you literally just like, screw it. I'm going to, I see a gap. I'm going to go yeah, for I'm gonna, it. I'm going to preface this answer with your results may vary. I'm just making sure everybody's aware, like, don't do what I did, but yeah, my dad and I had a really uh, close relationship, and he was probably one of the worst business people I've ever met. He started a trucking company and went bankrupt a few times. Just He's a de- great human being, terrible business person. And his advice to me was, I was really depressed. I was just not having fun at work. And I said, I think I'm going to go out on my own. And he goes, you have a credit card, go for it. So that was the push. And I went, eh, that sounds good to me. And <laughs> here we are, 27. We just, yesterday was our 27th anniversary in business. So I, I guess it wow. worked. Wow. I love this. You're like reminding me of, it's like what not to do. That That's the kind of mentor that you end up, that's, that's exactly what you're talking about. what I had. Yeah. I, I Everything I learned in business, I learned from him. It's like, okay, it's the Costanza method. Like do the opposite of yeah. what I did and you'll be fine. Eric's journey of self-discovery is yet another classic tale of entrepreneur meets EOS, entrepreneur realizes he's part of the problem. Just because you go kicking and screaming into structure and process doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do in the end for the greater good of the company. 
being a visionary, I'm, my default setting is resistance to process. So <laughs> there's there's that part. But we had some foundational pieces in place. Being an IT firm, we were part of a few peer groups. And so we had some foundational pieces in place already. And my belief was that it was a people problem, not a process problem. He strongly believed in this. And I just, I read Traction and I, I didn't really get it because Traction to me is more like a user. It's Traction is more for integrators. Get a Grip is more for visionaries. So when I read that book, it was like, oh my God, somebody telling me a story of this. It was just like our company playing out in a book. And I was like, oh, so yeah. that's what I'm doing to everybody. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> you, put, I'm the problem. you put it into a fun story and a yeah, fable. I'm I get problem it. Here. Not a user yeah, manual. It me. All I needed was a mirror. I mean, that could have saved me four years of headaches. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's funny. People love traction or they love yeah. get a grip. There's something that kind of resonates for both of them, but that's why both exist. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful own. world. Mirrors and referees, as Eric says, can be game-changing when it comes to getting traction in your business. Asking yourself if you're doing what it takes to be the right person in the right seat is powerful and often requires some outside perspective. The book was a, a huge catalyst for that. And then I started just looking at like being a visionary and coming up with 30 crazy ideas a day, it's like, okay, that's not going to lend itself well to any kind of process. Oh gosh, that's what I've been doing to people. This is why people just kind of wait till I calm down to go on to what, carry on with their lives. So really <laughs> I had to change. And, and once I did that, I said, okay, well, I believe this now that I understand the power of it. Now I understand how it's supposed to work. And where my role in this whole system goes, we need an impartial third party to play referee, as it were, because I could see there's going to be some conflict and healthy conflict is a great thing. And that's where I wrote an email to EOS and said, we're looking for an implementer and here are the characteristics we feel we're going to need. Do you have anybody? And they're like, as a matter of fact, we do. And they, yeah, they hit it out of the park with our uh, connection. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And it is kind of a, it's a different deal to have a, an observer, kind of somebody who's watching the game tape, as we say, right? I'm sure you've heard this, a Kurt Gödel quote, mathematician, German mathematician and philosopher. You can't understand a system and at the same time be a yes. part of it. And so sometimes just having, realizing that you're part of the system. You're <laughs> like, not impartial. You're too close to the problem a lot of times. And that's, that's right. where some of the healthy conflict comes in and, and having somebody to guide you that really made a huge difference right out of the gate. And our leadership team has changed quite a bit over the two years. And I think having our coach, our implementer in the room to guide us through some of these tough decisions has really been a huge benefit. Like I know a lot of the times they go in and say, well, we're on a journey together for two years. And it's like, I, at this point, we're coming up on two years. I can't imagine not having him be part of our process. It's that crucial to our success. Process. Sometimes visionaries and entrepreneurs feel allergic to the word. I know it sometimes makes me feel happy. But in the end, the powerful secret to process and structure, the quote, bowling bumpers, as Eric says, is that it actually sets you free, free to achieve more and be your best self. The first and foremost thing was my intentions were always good, but the execution was terrible. 
I get excited by a lot of crazy ideas. I think changing the world is a good thing. And not everybody shares that. And it can be scary, especially if you're coming up with a bunch of them every single day. You can really drive people crazy and you can drive them out of your company. So understanding that they're like, I can still be me, but having a process to be me and having a filtration system through our integrator to where it's going to, where does this fit in the process? Where does this fit into the one, three, 10 year, where does this fit in the structure or does it not? That was like the big change of, I can still be me. I just can't be me to everybody all the time. We need me with a system. (laughs) (laughs) Me with a system. I love it. It's kind of like bumper bowling. If you just let me go, it's going to be gutter balls all the time. But you put the integrator up on both sides. It's like, hey, we'll steer this ball to the pins and off we go. Well, playing off some of these this sports analogies, we talk about these game changing moves. And I'm curious to know what was a big moment or a big move that that you felt like was that challenged you in a whole nother way as a leader, as a person, as a business owner. And how did you move through that? In the process, like our company continues to evolve being in technology, there's no static, like you're either spiraling up or spiraling down. And so now we have three divisions in our company. So we have like the managed IT services, the managed IT security, and we also do software development specifically geared to the nonprofit sector. And there are specific challenges each of those divisions have and growing those requires specialties and bringing on the right people. A lot of times you, and I still see this sometimes where the visionary or the integrator wants to just throw it all on their back and like, follow me and learning to grow through that and understand that you have to surround yourself with the right people in the right seats So going through and and making sure people get it, want it, capacity to do it, those checks and balances, those are great things. Those tools in the toolbox help you evolve as a leader because now you're, it's not like a feel like that's, they took me out of the interview process because anybody who walks in, if I get along with, yeah, sure, you can join the company. It's like, "Mm, no, there's got to be a little (laughs) bit more than that. Now I come in at the end if needed and and do my vision painting and show everybody where we're headed just to see how they react to that. But the the first part of it, no, we got to have those checks and balances. So understanding I don't need to be part of everything. Talk about letting go of the vine. That was a big thing for me because I have massive trust issues. What's at the root of your trust issues? What's yeah, going on so there? So you and my therapist would get along very well. So... I've been actively in therapy since 2019, 2018, somewhere around there. My trust issues root back to my childhood, my parents. They have very dysfunctional relationship. Whenever there was a problem, my dad was an over-the-road truck driver. So he'd hop in the truck and just drive away for six days. No cell phones, so he didn't have to talk to my mom unless he wanted to. And so I had six days of her just complaining about him and all that. And then my learned behavior is to run away from problems because that's what I saw my father do. Obviously, that's not healthy. So you have to unpack all that and get to the bottom of it. So it's really this is fascinating, right? Like this idea that you there's this learned behavior that you don't even know you've learned. And it's just followed through your entire life and you've watched it happen. So your natural tendency is potentially to 
run out of the room, take your toys and go home, not go through hard conversations. You'd mentioned that EOS felt like a big complaining Mm -hmm. session, like in the beginning, which sounds exactly parallel to your mom complaining the entire time while he's gone. And so there's probably this triggering moment for you. So how did you work through some of those things? And maybe it's your therapist, (laughs) but but you probably had to talk about well, it. Well, yeah, the, the transparency part, and that this is where I've become a pretty much an open book all the time, and and I'm, people are either receptive to it or they're turned off by it. I can't control other people's reactions to it. All I can do is just be transparent. <clears throat> and I think you you help more people than you harm by sharing the story because we all have childhood trauma. We all have things that have shaped and formed us. And it's not your fault that you were exposed to that, but once you're aware of it, it's your responsibility to take action to correct the behavior. So that's part of what I learned in therapy is like, it's not my fault I'm like this, but now that I'm aware of it, now it is my responsibility moving forward, how I respond, how I choose to act, how I lead. Those are the things that I needed to work on and change. And for for me, I liken it to kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous, where they start with, hi, my name is Eric. I'm an alcoholic. It's like, hi, my name is Eric and I'm damaged and I'm a work in progress and always will be. Yeah. And just being able to be frank about that and and the self-awareness that it takes as a leader. And we talk about right people, right seats all the time. You'd mentioned it, right? How important that is. That includes Mm -hmm. you. Right. So how are you being a right person in the right seat as the function grows, as the company grows, as the company needs more of X, Y and Z and you're upskilling and you're creating some awareness of how you're participating in both the great things and the shit that stinks. And we've talked about this, too. So like we recently, like just within the last 30 days, brought on uh, a chief revenue officer and a head of product for our software division. And a lot of that was driven by the need to not wear as many hats, both for myself and for our integrator, because there's a mental health component to it where there's only so much you can carry for so long. And then default habits will show up no matter how much you practice. If you're stressed enough, the ugly can show up. And that's we're trying to avoid that by getting the right people in the right seats. We had the opportunity, we pulled the trigger. And in just in the first 30 days, it's already, we've seen a tremendous shift in the leadership team, just the results we're getting. It's been great, but you have to be willing to make those kinds of changes and take those kinds of risks. When you're bumping up against ceilings, big people moves can be the toughest to consider, but also the most necessary and game-changing not only to help you get unstuck, but to catapult you and your business to new heights, especially because the right people in the right seats exponentially reduces the multi-hatter effect. I think these last two moves have been the, we've been bumping up against the ceiling on this and it's impossible for one person to run three divisions and be excellent at it to do those things. But prior to that, so for the past six years, we've been talking about becoming employee owned. And that felt like a ceiling we were bumping up against because it's just always been talk, 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 talk. And we're not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. And through planning and and putting it on our roadmap with the EOS process and getting rocks around it and really just diving in, we were able to become employee owned June of last year. So that to me was like a huge, huge shift because it it wasn't aspirational anymore. It was real. 
And tomorrow night we're having uh, a party for the entire company where the, the shares are actually getting issued. The share statements are actually getting issued for the first time. Wow. You're giving me the chills. I, this is a huge moment yeah. for you. And uh, a huge moment for you personally, professionally, to even have a visionary talk about and moving to an employee-owned structure. There's something there. Tell me about that story. What's the why behind that for you? Yeah. So the peer groups and all the coaching and things that I've been in over the years, that was an early thing. I was fortunate to get hooked up with some people who were kind of mentors and guiding and uh, a lot of industry specific things. And they all come at you with the, what's your exit strategy? And when you're in your twenties and your thirties, you're like, I'm just trying to make it a Friday. I don't know what you're talking about exit strategy. <laughs> like I want to make sure payroll's met, I guess, death, like, cause that's kind of how it works in our family. Like you work till you die and then it's somebody else's problem. And they're like, don't lead with that. It's not a good story for marketing. It's not a good employee attraction model. Don't yeah, lead with that. Good. Call good the advice, attorney. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's pretty much it. So back in 2016, we got connected through a, a previous coach through the open book community that resonated with me. If you're sharing your financials and you're teaching people how a business works, they're going to do better rather than because Transparency. Yeah, they don't know the story. They're going to make one up their own because people want to have some type of guideposts or what's going on. So why don't we just, when that's a scary subject, I've talked to a lot of people about it. And depending on the health of the company, it can be scary for one of two reasons. It's like, well, I don't want them to see how much we make, or I don't want them to see them how little we make or what shape the company is in. And well, that's just my personal opinion is that's a disservice to everybody there because you're basically saying they're not smart enough to help fix the problem or they're not smart enough to understand how business works. Well, that's on you for not helping educate them. But that was just a small piece of it is the open book community led us to the employee-owned community, and that was really kind of the aha moment. It's like, well, who better to take care of this company when I'm no longer part of it than the people who are actually building the value of it? And then that connects back to my personal why. I want to close the income inequality gap in the United States, and I feel that this is a step towards that. If we become a very good employee-owned company, then we can become a beacon for other organizations to follow our path. Enough do it, and you're starting to shrink this gap. There's nothing worse than your processes and training content scattered around a bunch of Google Docs, or worse, stuck in people's heads. The good news is there's a platform called Trainual that makes it easy to document everything about your business, finally get your SOPs and policies organized, shave tons of time off onboarding and training, and get your process component nailed down. It's the integrator's dream. So whether you're growing or trying to scale with consistency or tightening up and needing more ROI from your team's time, Trainual is the answer. Right now, podcast listeners can get 15% off their first year. Visit Trainual.com and enter EOS promo code EOS15. That's T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L.com with promo code EOS15 when you pick your plan. It's just so refreshing. I can't even stand it. This like idea of transparency, not taking people's agencies that are trying to protect them from something that is the truth, which is the whole point of your, your need for transparency and just saying it once you can't unknow. And how about everybody knows? And then we can make some decisions together 
it's just such a fresh approach at leadership and scary and also, but also allow it stop. It disarms, it disarms all the other stuff that they're going to fill their heads with anyway. And, and they will fill their heads with people tend to default. So full transparency, I'm, I'm part of a group that Gino's leading now about finding your true self. And, and he talks about all decisions come from either love or fear and people will tend to default. Like if they're not constantly reminded about like, Hey, if we make our decisions with love, good things are going to happen. And even the bad things we can get through together, people tend to default to fear because that's just kind of how we evolved as creatures. If something's going to eat you, you should be aware of that. So we're constantly in fear. Well, we don't need to be that way anymore. But if they don't have the statistics, if they don't have the data and they don't understand, well, what are you hiding from me? All of a sudden now, and this is from the person with major trust issues. It's like, okay, well, I'm opening it up and I'm hoping by trusting you with this information and giving you the education behind it, then we can work together and make better decisions. Also, now you have like 35, 36, 30, however many people we are now, sets of eyes out there looking for ways to improve the company or looking out for potential risk. So there's this moment in your past where clearly you're not, you're, you're watching the avoidance of issues. You're watching the lack of entering the danger, if you will. You're, you're, there's actually no discussion around issues. There's just like separate camps, leave and flee. And now this world of you essentially becoming completely transparent in so many ways and also embracing the, the danger, the issues and going kind of right into that. Tell me how, how you've built that muscle. Like, how did you get from one side of the fence here to this other? And certainly EOS was part of that teaching things like IDS. Everything's just kind of an issue. But like, how, what was that? journey like for you to learn that new skill? Yeah, it's, I mean, it has to start with you. You have to want to make a change. So you get what you tolerate is a, a common phrase I hear. And so once you can't tolerate the pain anymore, and I'm very stubborn and I'm very tolerant of pain. And so it took me longer than probably most. Um, but when you have that epiphany, and I think, you know, and I can only speak for myself, but I think everybody reaches that point. And I really had hit a low point in my life with depression and just the results the business was getting. And fortunately, good people showed up at the right time. They were able to come in and help bring some of that in, good coaches, good mentors, good friends. Because I think from the beginning, I believe in equity. I believe in in people. It, to me, just having myself be the only beneficiary of a successful business like that would create more problems for me than solve. People think a bag of money solves all the problems. And I know a lot of very unhappy millionaires. And it's it's unfortunate because when you become part of this movement that you've created, and like a lot of businesses are are actually movements. If you get to the soul of the business, there's a movement here. And it's this self, this, this path of self-discovery. You're you're starting to understand your place in the world and how your business can impact other people's lives. And you start seeing that happen. And it's like a, it's like a drug. You get addicted to it. It's like, okay, well, we changed a couple people's lives. Now I want to change a few more. All of a sudden the light gets a little brighter and it's like, Hey, maybe we can change the world. Maybe yeah. we can. That's amazing. 
God, who knew a tech company could have so much soul? <laughs> well, that's what happens when you hate tech. <laughs> Don't let the tech get in the way of your soul. <laughs> this larger-than-life mission to literally change the world is what's been driving Eric since day one, and especially since running on EOS. And Eric's desire to build a business with soul is what stood out to his EOS implementer, Paul Detliff, early on and often throughout their partnership. Tell that he was a different breed, that he was very mission-based, and they're a classic IT managed services provider, MSP. We have hundreds of them in the U.S. community. I've worked with probably four or five myself. And But he was just, he was a little different because, like you said, he wasn't about the IT. He was about the people and particularly about the impact they had. When we did their target market and their core focus, the focus was very mission-based and the target market was very mission-based. So they are looking to help companies that have an impact on the broader world. They're a mission-based company who wants to work with mission-based companies. That's right. kind of the bottom line. And so they've actually got a division that's different than the MSP that builds software, does projects for people, but they have built a tool for food pantries. And it's a real passion for that team and for Eric to provide technology solutions that help food pantries and food banks feed those that have trouble having adequate access to food. Paul, how do you feel like the focus on impact for, frankly, almost this like commoditized industry of IT services and solutions has changed the way this company has grown and attracted people to the team? Well, I think it's probably the 60 some odd U.S. companies I've worked with it's it's probably the company most true to their core focus, their their purpose, their passion, than more so than about any other company I've worked with. So it it causes them to be very focused. They're not trying to be all things to all people, and it also attracts people who share that mission. So it connects them to their clients and it connects them to their people. And so I think that particularly both in the software and project work and the MSP, they have built a team of people who believe in the mission. We always talk about the vision shared by all. They're probably further along in their people sharing that vision, in part because they hire them with that in mind than, than about any company I work with. So, Wow. And to that end, attracting people who share the vision and are deeply invested in the impact of the work that they're doing, it sounds like that is really being rewarded now in a whole nother way in terms of an employee-owned structure. Take me a little bit through that journey or that process with Eric and his team to build that. It sounds revolutionary, and it also sounds like he's trying to build a model of how employee-owned workplaces can then drive even greater impact in the world. It is unique. I think in Illinois, there are only 283 employee-owned companies. I think that's the number. And they're one. They executed an ESOP, I don't know, about a year ago. And over time, he's transferring ownership to the ESOP. He just decided that he could have built this thing up and sold it and taken all the money. 
but that wasn't who he was. He wanted to help other people, particularly his employees, and not take it all for himself. And so he's been on this for a while. He's an evangelist for the things that he gets involved in, okay? So, and he's a community guy. He's active in the small giants community. He's been involved in conscious capitalism. You know, now he's involved in being kind of an evangelist for this employee-owned community, going to conferences and posting on LinkedIn and speaking and so on. But he's one of these guys who just joins stuff and he believes in and evangelizes and he's read everything. He's one of these clients that I've had a few of them who has read every book that we have our clients read and then some. I pride myself. I love Patrick Lencioni. I've read every book he's ever written. He's probably the only client who's also read every book that Lencioni's ever written. So he's a sponge for this stuff and an evangelist for this stuff. And employee owned is is the the latest example of that. So Yeah, he talked about the soul of business. And it seems like a very unique lens. I mean, we almost like transferring some of this personal mindset and growth and that personal operating system sense of things into business and marrying those tool those two. Tell me a little bit about how the this idea of soul of business shows up. Yeah, I think we've already talked about that a little bit in terms of the mission-based and, and the purpose. One of the things we talk about in EOS is the, the five frustrations that business owners have, right? And one of the frustrations is nothing's working. What we mean by that is I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried that kind of, I call it the book of the month club. The visionary owner goes and reads a book and they come into the office, okay, we're going to do this. And next month he reads another book, oh, we're going to do this, left, right, left, right. And Eric, I think he has been searching for the ultimate solution and I think in EOS, he's found that. And, you know, great green of business wasn't it. I mean, it was good stuff, but it wasn't a complete operating system. And none, neither was some of these other things. So I think he's finally found that complete system. And now he's starting to bring back some things like open book management and so on that are complementary, but they're not as complete as EOS. You can tell Paul truly admires the type of leader and man Eric is and his refreshing approach and the why behind his business. But he also knows that without a grounding force and a yin and yang balancing act to Eric's vision and leadership, good intentions simply don't survive. I think it was dealing with some tough issues in the session room, surprise, people issues. And even outside, as an implementer, one of the things I pride myself on is being accessible and being responsive And my favorite clients are the ones that actually call me between sessions Mm -hmm. and ask for help. And I recall having a dinner at a brew pub with Eric and his integrator, Paul, and talking about some tough people issues. And so I think getting their structure right, getting their focus right, dealing with some of the tough issues, those were the things that convinced them that this was a fit and it had value and that I was a fit and I had value. So, and let's get on to kind of some of the wild side of Eric as a classic visionary. He described himself as somebody who needed, as a bowling ball, he needed the bumpers. That was the only way he was going to actually hit the pins. So tell me a little bit about how that analogy just does perfect for him as a leader and certainly how you've helped him work through his own visionary-ness, if you will, uh, during this journey. 
Yeah, I think that I'm kind of the opposite. I'm an implementer, obviously, but I'm more of the integrator style. And between I and his integrator, also named Paul, very ironic, Yeah, uh, I think we've both squeezed him from two sides or whatever. And one of the challenges he, he has, like all visionaries, is staying in his lane. And he had too many lanes for a while. The guy with too many lanes, too many seats right now is Paul. But Eric just recently hired a head of revenue. And that was Eric before. Eric was the visionary sitting in the sales leadership seat. And he knew he needed to get out of that seat. And so pointing out those sorts of things, how many seats he's sitting in, the other Pauls had a bigger impact on him than I. I mean, I'm with him one day a quarter. Paul's with him every day and an hour and a half every week in a level 10 meeting. This is a classic. Eric would say that Paul saved his company. And Paul would tell Eric that don't worry, you know, I'll never leave you. They are very different, but they have a really, really close relationship. There's a lot of healthy conflict that goes on. I mean, Paul pushes back a lot on him. So I think more of that happens with him than, than I. But Yeah, it I sounds like they were oil and water at one point. Yeah, yeah. And that was a good thing. Like, they both needed each other to kind of get into that, like you said, healthy conflict. Yeah. And and once the other person was open to hearing and listening, and certainly there were some tools and a way of moving together, they got on the same page. There was some common ground there. Yeah. And I, I think that Paul probably bonded to Eric over time just because of who he is and his soul and the person that he is. And I think Eric over time recognized the value that someone like Paul brings. And I think the EOS model, the whole visionary integrator model helped with that. And Paul and I sometimes tag team a little bit, but I think we've both had impact on controlling Eric a little bit, getting him to stay in his lane, saying no, healthy conflict. But he's done a lot of personal work and he's done the work. I sense that there's there's an inside out transformation that he's put the work in to go do yep. that is also now having an impact on everything else he does. I'm sure you see this all the time. When you can see people doing the work inside out. I saw something recently, actually from Tony Robbins, and he said there are kind of three keys to life. Okay, let's see. What are the three keys to <laughs> life, right? The first one is really gratitude, celebrating what you have, not what you're missing. I, I think Eric does a really good job of that. The second one is dealing with what you can control, not what you can't control. And I think he's he's very good at that. And the third one is living in the present or a positive future. There's a saying some of us use, don't borrow pain from the future. If you're very fearful about the future or you're very dwelling on the past and bad things that happened, you're not going to be a happy person. And I think that, that he does a good job of living in the present and in a positive future. And I think this whole employee-owned thing is, is a very big part of the positive future he's trying to create, not only for himself, but for all of his employees. And again, their, their mission-based purpose is trying to create a positive future for the world. Sometimes we, we say, oh, ch change the world. We kind of throw that out there, but they're really trying to change the world in a focused way, one client at a time, one situation at a time. For Eric, changing the world means modeling new ways of sharing wealth in business and the communities they support. 
It also means writing the gold standard playbook for developing and running employee-owned companies. Yeah, and I, I think right now, a lot of the employee ownership, like the, the people that I've met that are seriously interested in it are doing it, they're good people, they have good moral compass, good core values, but it's still an exit. So it's like, okay, I'm done after that. And then it's on the next generation to carry that on and hopefully continue to execute. And one of the things that I've discovered along the way just recently at another conference was the fact that once I no longer am a majority shareholder, because right now we're 30% employee owned, so I still have 70% controlling interest in the company. Once I'm no longer that, the board or the trustees, however this is structured, if somebody comes in that's maybe not aligned with us, but makes a ridiculous monetary offer, because of the fiduciary responsibility, the board would have to consider it. And so there's a gap that we have to close. And I've been following very closely what Zingerman's in Ann Arbor is doing with their perpetual trust about blocking interests who don't align with the values. So there's a lot of learning that has to be done. And people look at me and are like, okay, well, you're almost there. What are you going to do when you're retired? And I'm like, that word does not exist in my vocabulary. Like I, I always need to be contributing. And that's this plan of when I'm no longer needed in the day-to-day -day operations of the organization, I become the evangelist for this employee ownership movement. But I'm learning along the way because I don't want to inadvertently create another problem that just makes this just another exit strategy model. So I'm watching and learning as I, I go. And it's kind of a dangerous thing to do with your own company is like, we're learning as we do this. The goal of business is to be in business and remain in business. I mean, it's so simple, but it's like- Shocker. <laughs> but a lot of people are chasing the profit margin number every year. The exit yeah, strategy. And, and it's like, well, no, that's not, that's what about all the people who are here working and the next generation and the next generation? Shouldn't we be serving the community and how can we best do that? Well, let's plan to be here in 100 years and 200 years and 300. And it's their job to figure out what we're providing, but it's us, our job to set the value statement and the guideposts of no matter what we do, this is how we should do it. And this is how we should be having impact on humanity and the community. And that's really kind of what it got me on that spiral of thinking of, well, okay, wow, yeah, this, this fits well with what we're trying to do here. We all know the airline safety warning about putting the oxygen mask on yourself first before rescuing anyone else. Well, the parallel exists for visionaries. Visionaries who have to be living and breathing the transformation they seek to make in the world. It's important to remember, you're not the last stop for self-care. You're the model for your leaders. Well, it's given me time to pursue other passions. I know that's the EOS life. Like we, we have that plastered everywhere and we, we believe that's true. And having the structure and having the team, the leadership team to lean on, I, I being in IT with the security component, I can't say peace of mind because in, until we're not doing that anymore, the peace of mind is always you're just one bad day away. But now it's not just shouldered on myself. It's like we have this this team of great leaders and, and great employee owners that are all focused on the mission that we have at hand. So time to pursue other passions like getting out in nature. I became a runner two years ago 
completed my first half marathon last year. Like I wouldn't have had time to do that if I was just constantly working. And EOS has given us the structure and the framework to allow these things to happen outside of business. We Run on EOS is available on all major podcast platforms because we care. Please follow us so you don't miss an episode. And if you're interested in reading the book Eric mentioned, Get a Grip, you can check it out and all things EOS at eosworldwide.com. I'm your host, Pam Kosanke, and thanks for listening. While being a great boss may sound simple, it often isn't, but it can be easier. The Great Boss Workshop provides leadership team members and mid-level managers with simple yet proven tools and approaches to get more done and create accountable, people-centric environments for their teams to thrive in. Visit eosworldwide.com to register for an upcoming session.